Hallelujah. There is joy in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Don't let anything steal your joy. Not even Santa Claus. If you let him, he'll get in your pocket. But don't let him get in your heart. Amen. There's joy in the house of the Lord on today. Amen. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and let him know it looks like I'm a little more happy than you, but it's all right. You can be seated today. <laughs> well, as we begin to prepare for this season, we give put thought and into what we would say today and next couple of weeks, uh, we come up with this thought of the season of grace. Christmas is the season of grace. And so I want to talk to you some here on this this morning in Luke chapter 2 in verses nine, uh, 10 and 11. The scripture there says, The angel of the Lord said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. I think how fitting this verse is, not only for the season that we're in, but the culture, the climate of our nation and our world he says, he sent an angel and said, fear not. Don't be worrying about anything. Why is it? Because I'm bringing good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The rich and the poor. The young and the old. Huh? To all people. Good tidings of great joy, because I'm sending you a savior. Amen. Now, when I thought about that, I thought about the question, if we had to make it to heaven keeping the law, I'm pretty sure that heaven would be empty. James chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, for every, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Guilty of all. So I have a couple of questions this morning. And have you ever done anything or went anywhere instead of going to church on Sunday? You're going to hell. <laughs> because just one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? You're not supposed to steal. Have you ever lied? Bared false witness against your neighbor? Have you ever really wanted something 
that your neighbor, your friend had. And you wanted it bad. That's coveting. You're going to hell. If you've done any of these, according to the law, you're guilty of all of them. Wow. Don't that make you feel warm inside? Have you ever set out to do something um, in your life and then suddenly uh, you looked at what you, your goal was and you felt this overwhelming feeling that this is impossible? I remember going as a young boy, I don't know, 10 to 12 years old, I was, we went to a, another farmer's house and, and um, was getting some things there and he, he had some young goats that was just born and, and uh, it was in about May and he, um, I, I wanted those goats. I didn't have no money, and, uh, but I wanted those goats. And uh, so the farmer tells me, he says, uh, if you will pick those yellow flowers out of my hayfield, I'll give you those two goats. I said, okay. I looked at the field. I seen the flowers he wanted picked. And uh, so I agreed. I'll pick these flowers out of this field so I can have those goats. I packed me a lunch the next day. I went up early in the morning. I spent half of the day there, looked at the field, and I had went a few feet. And there was a long field still ahead of me. The old feeling of just overwhelming me and I said to myself, there's no way in the world these flowers will die before I get all of these pulled out of this hay. So I did what any good 12 year old would do. I picked up what was left of my lunch and went to the house. <laughs> said, keep those goats. <laughs> I'll find another way. Somehow that come to my mind whenever I was thinking about it this week that the law was a taskmaster. It was hard. It was demanding rules that could not be kept by anyone. And, and we see, you know, and some of you may have been in church long enough that whenever people preached, and I, I understand where uh, some folks think that God is angry, that God is mad, because that's what we used to preach. We all used to preach the law, right? It was judgmental. It was condemnation. It was, you know, and, and you couldn't stay saved. How many of you got saved every revival? Some of us didn't even stay saved that long. Is it every Sunday? You had to turn or you was going to burn, right? And it was just condemnation. It was just beating you down. And somehow you felt like that you couldn't accomplish, you couldn't achieve, you couldn't make it. And so therefore, some folks was like me in that field. We said, there's no way that I can do this. And so we felt like that we was never able to, to keep the gospel or to keep this relationship with God because it was based on the law. 
But as I read in your hearing here this morning, I believe that part of what Luke was talking about when he was speaking about the good tidings, about the good news, is that it was the good news is that grace has come to the world. Grace has come. Because the reality of it is, if we have done any of these things, we could be sorry for it. But if you was in a court of law and you said, went to the judge and you, he said to you, uh, did, did you steal this car? And there was evidence that you stole that car. And you said, yes, judge, I stole the car, but I'm sorry. Well, sorry, don't get it done. If he's a good judge, then he is going to give you a punishment according to what you have done. But the good news of the gospel is this, that before the sentence was released upon our life of what we were guilty of, Jesus came and paid the debt. He paid the fine. He paid the charges so that we could be free from the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation that should be upon our life according to the law. Amen. And so in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. Now this verse, when Paul is talking about being conformed to this world, he is not talking about what we call worldly or worldliness or the, in the sense of sin. He is talking in this passage, the Greek word here for world is translated age. And so what Paul is talking about here, be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He is talking about the passing of an age and now a new age that is coming. That you're, you have to be transformed. Don't be, don't be conformed to the age of the law. But there is a transforming, a renewing of your mind that you will know the perfect will of God for your life. And that message was a message of conformity. It was the law was it was to to external codes that was that and rules that were superimposed upon people to get them to behave a certain way. It was the chain to change them from the outside in. The message of the new covenant is also a message of change, but it is a message of transformation. Transformation changes us from the inside out. It comes out of the heart, right? The word transformation in this text from the Greek word, which we derive the word metamorphosis. And so it is the idea of a caterpillar that is wrapped up in a cocoon until what is on the inside ultimately surfaces. And I believe that that is the gospel of grace. Is just as, such as a cocoon that we are wraps us up in the in embrace of a loving father, amen, and in a safe place until that caterpillar becomes a beautiful butterfly. Until there we know who we are in our hearts. 
that we are in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And I am a new creation. So now I'm not a wretched worm, as Job said. But now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm the beloved of God. And so in that cocoon of God, the Father God's love and grace and mercy, I, in that place of safety, I understand who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. What is truly the nature of a butterfly will surface in the environment of grace. In a new covenant, God does not just give us new rules. He gives us a new nature. The process of repentance or changing one's mind is part of the metamorphosis. It is taking place in our lives. Be not conformed, but be renewed. Right? How, do, how are we renewed? As we receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is saving our soul. It's a process of renewing our mind to the word of God, to what we believe than what we, we uh, value, and it renews our mind. And I've heard people, many people say, uh, stay away from that grace message. It'll produce loose living and a lifestyle of sin. But I submit to you today, it's not grace that makes you sin, it's the law. Well, what, what do you have to base that on, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not grace that causes us to sin, according to the scripture, it is the law. As a matter of fact, grace is the antidote for sin. In Romans chapter five and verse 20, it said, moreover the law entered uh, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, grace, Grace abounds much more. It makes me want to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. For it is grace that brought me safe this far. And it is grace that will lead me home. Amen. If we only preach freedom from the law, we're only preaching part of it. But we have to, uh, we are preaching what we turn from, but not what we turn to, toward. We have not fulfilled the, the real fulfillment of freedom. All we have done is traded the bondage of religion for the bondage of sin. I've seen some people that have gotten free from religion and become bound by substance abuse. On the other hand, I've seen people that have got free from substance abuse and get bound by religion. 
God never called us and delivered us from one bondage to be bound by another. Amen. Amen. It's like a bunch of monkeys swinging back and forth from a tree. A tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? We swing from good to evil, from evil to good. And we, we forget that the tree of knowledge of good and evil has both good and evil. Right? God said to Adam, Don't, do not eat from this tree because it will produce death in you. What is death? What produces the death when you mix the good and the evil together? Remember the tree of knowledge of good and evil is in the uh, garden, this mystic garden of Eden. And it has both the good and the bad on it. Adam and Eve desires was to eat from that tree because it would make them like God. Or so they thought that they would know both good and they would know evil. And this seemed like a noble and godly desire, didn't it? I want to be like God. It seemed like a good thing to do. But all that they did was made them to sin conscience and self-conscious. It didn't produce life. It produced death. For by the law, it is the not in the knowledge of sin. And if there was a commandment that could have given life, then we would have had righteousness by the law. But we know that we didn't receive righteousness by the law. Romans chapter seven and verse nine, it says, for I was alive without the law once. But then when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Right. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found un to be unto death. The tree of life is completely different tree. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they turned from God as their source and they turned to their self as their source. They became dead to God and alive to self. And the new covenant was realized on the cross of Calvary and cross of Christ because our tree, and it became our tree of life. That's where we live today. That's where our source of life comes from. It is the cross that we realize that the death of Jesus was not just a death of one man. It was the death of all men. It is there that we realize he did not die for me. He died as me. Amen. He took, he took who I was, a fallen Adam, born in iniquity, shapen in sin, and he nailed that to the cross. And now as I identify with Christ and his finished work, I realize that I have become alive in God. Amen. I've turned from myself and my self-help and I turn to God as my source, as my strength, as my hope, as my life. Right. That's true repentance. I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus. 
In Luke chapter 19, the Bible says he was a chief among the publicans. He was very rich. He wanted to see Jesus and he could not because of the press or the crowd and because he was little in stature. I just wonder, I just wonder, I know that I may be thinking just in myself, but I just wonder, was Zacchaeus truly small in stature or was he just made to be feeling he was small by the religious leaders of the day? Have you ever been around religious people that made you feel about a half inch tall? Perhaps the people in Luke chapter 18 made him feel insignificant. Maybe, maybe they made him feel as though he was small. He didn't need to be in the crowd. He didn't need to bother Jesus. He, 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 did, he wasn't important enough, right? To be talking to the Messiah, to the teacher. In Luke chapter 18, in verse, starting in verse 9, I'm going to read a few verses here. And he spake this parable uh, unto certain which, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple and pray, to pray, and the Pharise, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed uh, with himself, God... This is what he said, God, I thank you that I am not as the other men. I'm not an extorter, I'm not unjust, I'm not adulterous. And said, as a matter of fact, I'm not even like this publican here. Think about that. He said, let me tell you what I do, God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all of my possessions. Right? And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. And you see that? This Pharisee hates publicans, hates tax collectors and rich folks. He has this holier-than-thou attitude and walks in and wants to tell God how much money he has given to the church. Wants to tell him how many times he fasts and all of these things and says, and, and a matter of fact, I, I'm not like this guy right here. Can you imagine coming to the altar praying and hear your neighbor saying, God, I just want you to know that I'm so thankful that I'm not like Jimmy. He's a sorry thing. That's what's going on here. And this man is humbling himself, smotes himself, hits himself on the chest, won't even look to the heavens. He humbles himself and says, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
right? Everything the Pharisees hate is what Zacchaeus represented. He was a tax collector, he was a publican, and he was very rich. But Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. If he could just stop disqualifying and marginalizing people who don't fit the mold of Christendom like we think they should and just bring them to see Jesus. Huh? Don't, don't try to dress them up. Don't try to qualify them. Don't try to disqualify them. Just bring them to see Jesus. Amen? We must stop giving people a list of do's and don'ts in order to enter the kingdom. When Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house, everything in Zacchaeus' house changed. Huh? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down out of the sycamore tree because you must abide, I must abide at your house today. Right? Now, how many know that, that whenever the scripture says something specific, it's for a reason? Why didn't he just say he's up, Zacchaeus climbed a tree? Why did he have to say sycamore tree? It's more than just so we could sing a song in Sunday school. Right? There's a reason why that Jesus said Zacchaeus went up this sycamore tree. Well, it, some translators and even your con, uh, Strong's Concordance will tell you that a sycamore tree is an inferior fig tree. Now remember, it was the leaves of a fig tree that Adam and Eve uses to cover their nakedness after eating from the wrong tree. Right? Are you walking with me? So the fig tree represents man's efforts of trying to make himself presentable and righteous before God. They made themselves aprons of fig leaves. Now an apron can only cover the front of you. Right? And that is exactly what religion does. It puts on a front. But if the sun comes out, you're in trouble. Because the leaves will begin to wither and will expose you for who you really are. You're going to be exposed. If somebody comes around from behind you, they're going to be able to see you from behind and they'll see who you really are. But I hear the words of Jesus sounding as a clarion call to all of us who will hear it. Come down out of that inferior religious fig tree that says that you've got to make everyone else feel little so that you can look big. Because I'm going to your house today. The Bible says that Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When Jesus comes to your house, everything will change. Of course, when the religious Pharisees saw that, they began to murmur and say, uh, he's the guest of sinners. He's going to a sinner's house. Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to do anything. 
He put no requirements on him whatsoever. But look at the response of Zacchaeus had as he, he said, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Look what he does. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. We talked about that last week, right? Being a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus did not ask Zacchaeus to give up half of his goods. He didn't ask him to restore fourfold for anything that he had taken unjustly or taken a false accusation. Yet the presence of Jesus had brought such a change in this man's heart that he did something willingly from his heart that he was not told to do. That's salvation. His life was changed. <laughs> Can you see it? Jesus declares to him this day salvation has come to your house. For the son of man comes to seek and to save that which is lost. So let's compare that to the rich young ruler in the previous chapter in Luke 18. You got time? Luke 18, verse 18, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest me good? None is good, save one, that is God. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things have I kept up from my youth up. And now when Jesus heard these things, how many believe that was true? <laughs> I doubt it. Now when he heard that Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, you lack thou one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasures in heaven and come uh, follow me. And when you heard, he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly, hardly shall they that uh, have riches enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle of an eye than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they that heard it, who uh, then can, he said, who can be saved? And he said, the thing which is impossible with men are possible with God. The first thing that I want to point out here is that the rich young ruler says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what you've got to remember is this, that while Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament, they are still in the Old Covenant because Jesus has not yet been offered, right? 
So some people say, well, why does the New Testament refer to the, the, the law and these things? Well, that's the reason why. Because these gospels, while they, they are in the New Testament, Calvary has not happened yet. Jesus has not been crucified yet. Right? The new covenant, the, the, the season of grace has not yet been released into the earth. And so uh, Jesus answered that question. He said, if you think that you can make it by doing, then here's you a to-do list. If you want to make it in, if you want to work for it, then honor your mother and your father. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Don't do all these things. And like any good religious person would do, they would say, I done all of that. And Jesus said, okay, then give your money to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. Jesus began to list the commandments. Of course, you know from a previous chapter that nobody made it by the works of the law. It always ends with, you lack this one thing. You've always come up short. You try to approach eternal life through performance. You're always going to lack this one thing. Notice this man was very rich. When Jesus asked him to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, he went away sorrowfully because he couldn't give up a penny. Zacchaeus never asked a question. What do I have to do to be saved? He simply received Jesus joyfully and said, this is what I'm going to do. Right? Jesus never asked Zacchaeus to do anything. Yet Zacchaeus was willing to give up half of his goods and give it to the poor. Do you, do you see the difference? Under performance-based Christianity, you're always doing in order to be. And, and at the end of you doing, you're never enough. It's always will be lacking something. But when grace came, under grace, you already be. <laughs> you already be. It is out of who you be, who you are, that you do. The law demands, but grace supplies. And those who stood by asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, the, th the thing that is impossible with men is impossible with God. In other words, if you are trying to earn it through human sweat, labor, and performance, it is impossible. But if you're going to trust God by believing in Him for salvation then all things are possible. Salvation is not out of works, lest any man should boast. I believe that you could also look at this, man, this man's riches as his confidence in himself. He had, he, he had a self-provided salvation. He was self-proclaimed. In other words, he didn't, didn't have to depend on Jesus or anything, including God, because he had riches. 
He trusted in his own riches, his own ability. And many of us may not be wealthy with tangible things. But if we put our trust in a work-based, performance-based religion, we'll never enter into a rest of God. We'll always be toiling, laboring, sweating, and tears, and always come up empty and frustrated. But if we will receive Him joyfully, and enter into the rest of what He has done, that grace has not only saved us, it's brought us this far and it will lead us on. Amen? If we trust in ourselves and our ability to earn God's favor or this eternal life, it is impossible to enter into the kingdom of God. Many commentaries, you, you can read them, and the eye of the needle, they say, was indeed what Jesus was speaking of was a sewing needle, not a small door in the city gate. Now, there was a small door in the city gate, but most commentaries will suggest that, that Jesus was talking about the, the sewing needle here. And I know that the small gate, that's powerful. You've got to unload everything so the camel can crawl through and you've got to unload your sin. You've got to, and, and that's cool. But, but most commentaries suggest that he's talking about a sewing needle, which makes it impossible. There's no way. Right? That you can get through a sewing needle. In other words, Jesus is telling this rich young ruler, it's impossible for you to enter the kingdom through works. You can get down on your knees, but you're not getting through this. There's no way possible that you can get through. Who then can be saved? It is those who trust and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And are utterly dependent on him and him alone. That, are, that is the ones who can be saved. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man comes to the Father except by him. Amen. Now I don't know about you, but I believe that's good news of the gospel. I believe that that is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen. He's bringing good tidings of great joy that, that Brian Matthews in no way, shape or form could ever enter into the kingdom of God on my work, on my performance and, and, and doing what I can do. But if I will receive Jesus joyfully, he will change me. He will, he will let me be that in the cocoon of the Father's love and His grace until the, the beauty inside of me, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, working on me until He prepares me to be what He said I always was. Do you ever notice Jesus never called people from uh, by where they were? He always called out of them what they should be. 
He's still doing that to you and I today. He's calling us the beloved. He's calling us the chosen. He's calling us righteous. He's calling us pure. He's calling us holy. He's calling us sons and daughters of God. Right? And we may not look like it right now. But in this season of grace, it's possible for me to get to heaven. Not because of my works, but because of me accepting joyfully Jesus. And he's changed my heart. He's changed my life. Wow. Does that help anybody today? Christmas, the season of grace. When grace came down. So that we would have a hope. Amen. If I be being honest with you today. And you probably be honest with me today. If we were here. And had to make it in on the law. Probably every one of us would just tip on out of here. And never come back. Because there's no way. It'd be like me in that hay field saying there ain't no way this is going to happen. Might as well not even waste my time because there's no way I can keep up with all of this. I'm going to slip up. And if I slip up, I'm guilty of the all. Right? But I'm thankful for the season of grace. Amen. What I love about this, this picture, I hope that I painted it today that you can see it. But what I love about this picture is Zacchaeus accepted his grace and it changed his heart. And he went away joyfully. While work performance, the rich young ruler goes away sorrowful. Because he can't do it on his own. But when Jesus comes into your heart, you can do things you never thought you could do. He changes you from the inside out. Amen. There's a new song. I don't know that they've even, Amy and them probably haven't even heard it yet. But there's a new song that's just off of the charts said Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. <laughs> oh, what a change in my life. Stand with me today. Father, I thank you so much <laughs> that you sent a season of grace that the old age of the law has passed away and now we're living in this season of grace and we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we accept you joyfully into our hearts and what you have done. That we come to an understanding quickly that we cannot do this out of our own ability, strength, or power. But it is in you that we live, we move, and we have our being. And for that we are grateful today. We are thankful today. So I pray today that 
we don't be like the rich young ruler and go away sorrowful, but today we, we go joyfully like Zacchaeus. We come out of the tree of the sycamore tree representing our ability to cover ourselves in an inferior fig leaf. But God, we totally trust you. We surrender ourselves to you today in this season. And we say, do all, be all, and accomplish all that you have for us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.